It's a huge honor for me to have Amandeep Gaur here today, uh, also known as Core Coaching. Hit the like button, leave a comment, helps the video out, helps this video and this content reach more people. So very much appreciated. So I'll wait while you do that. I will um, give you a bit of background on how I met Benji. So Benji actually came to the clinic for treatment long, long time ago. So it's been an amazing journey. So seeing you guys, getting to know your family, getting to know your husband, your kids, um, and uh, and seeing how you guys have had such a positive, um, especially yourself, have had such a positive influence on, on Darshan Kaur and, um, and indirectly, indirectly or indirectly our marriage as well as a consequence. So we owe a lot to you guys um, and to you. But I think that's a pretty good introduction. Is there anything you want to add to that? No, but I would <laughs> probably turn it around and say it was the other way around. You came to see me initially because um, you were having some pains. And I see a lot of people who have um, chronic pain, so they have pain which is, which is persistent, it's not going away, and it's unusual if you, if you look at the whole physiology of injury, you think someone's gonna have pain, they're gonna have inflammation for a short period of time, they're gonna do the rest ice compression, they're gonna do ex gradual return to exercise, and then within, you know, even with, with a fracture of the, the biggest bone in the body, you're looking at 12 weeks before the bone is completely healed, and then probably about six months till that person is able to forget about it and get back to everything that's normal. But with chronic pain, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, so um, I can definitely say I'm an expert on my body now. Um, so when I originally came to see you, I think it had a lot of hip pain and back pain, um, which had built up um, after I'd had my second child. Um, and so I'd had a PND as, as I, before I was um, gave birth to our daughter. And what happened after that was I was unable to walk. It was quite traumatic. Um, I was bed bound for quite a long time. So I did heal from that initially. Um, at least I thought I did, but every so often the pain would come back. Um, and then I had other things going on that started as kind of things like painful periods and IBS. Um, so I'd have a lot of bowel pain as well, and it all seemed to be connected. It would all flare up at the same time. So I went to, I, I was referred to different hospitals, to different doctors. Um, I went private, but no one could really get to the bottom of it. I'd get sent department to department, gynae to gastro. Um, and when I came to see you, I was kind of at the end of my tether because I'd had a period of time being pain-free um, and then it had all come back again. And I, I just didn't know where else to go because no one could tell me what was wrong with me. And you, guys, you know, generally Western medicine is very, you know, they'll look at one part. So Gynae would send me to gastro. They don't look at the holistic model. Um, and I think you gave me some uh, acupuncture, which was a bit scary because you had a bit of, had it attached to some electric thing as well. Um, so there's like electricity going through there and it did help. So, you know, I don't want to <laughs> make you look bad. It no, did help fine. with the pain. <laughs> it did help with the pain relief, but what it didn't do was get to the cause of it. So, I, you know, like I said, I became an expert in my own body with the help of somebody who had a holistic point of view, Manjeet Gore, she really helped me to understand the mind-body connection. So that has been one of the biggest things that I've learned that actually your thoughts, your emotions can have a huge impact on the pain that you experience. So, you know, like you said at the beginning is if you break a bone, it takes a, a set amount of time. Obviously everyone's different, but it will completely heal. So why does a chronic pain heal. So that was a mystery. But as I came into the work of like um, Dr. Sarno, who, who talks a lot about back pain and Louise Hay, I, be I began to see that connection between the mind and the body and how that can lead to more kind of chronic pain rather than acute pain. So the things that I learned along the way were things like our repressed emotions. So on the surface of it, and as far as I was concerned, I had, I had have and had an amazing life. So I have an amazing husband, I have two children, even my in-laws are lovely, you know, there's no problems in my family. Um, but with the encouragement of Manjeet Benji, I really started to delve into that and she suggested I actually get counselling 
And I, I just couldn't understand it because I was like, there's nothing wrong with my life. I should be, you know, I should be happy. But actually it was all the unresolved childhood trauma. And they weren't big, you know, big traumas. They were little, what we call little teas, little things that had happened when I was younger, things that were impacting me in the present moment. But I wasn't quite aware of because I was just so used to repressing my emotions. So what I learned was that then comes out through your body. Every emotion is energy. And when you don't deal with that energy, you don't process that energy, then it comes out either through your mind, through anxiety, through depression, or it comes out through your body as rogue, as disease, as illness, as pain. And so it, it's been a long journey, but it's taken me time to start to understand myself, uh, to understand how I operate. I'm very much a people pleaser. And that's very much the profile that fits for this kind of pain. But it was just understanding that even though this pain is physical, it's still very real. The pain is real, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a physical issue that's going on. Your body is actually trying to protect you from the emotional side of it. Um, and then there's also, you know, we're thinking the same in terms of the mind. We're thinking the same thoughts day in, day out. You know, 95% of what we think every day is the same thing, and often it is very negative. So it was about becoming self-aware, you know, what am I thinking every day? Am I, it's not about positive or negative, but am I getting stuck in the patterns of how difficult life is, or is there something bigger than that that I can work towards? And then the last kind of phase of that, or healing, if you like, for me, which, which has come alongside that, but is, is more of an influence right now as well, is the spiritual side. What is the spiritual side of healing? So, you know, with every book, with every challenge that we face in life, you might not call it spiritual. It doesn't have to be religious, and you might not even understand that there's a spiritual side to it. But actually, there's a learning in there. There's something to be learned. If there's pain in your body, that's an alarm system to tell you that there's something not quite right. And it doesn't have to be on a physical level or even a mind level. It just might just be that you're not, what I might say, you might, you're not in your truth. And to me, all that means is there's something, how you feel on the inside, but it's not being reflected on the outside. So that's the difference between what your nature is, your true nature, your jodhsaru, your true self and culture, you know, what's going on, what are the expectations around you, whether it's at work, whether it's your family, um, whether it's your relationships. And often there's a disconnect between the two, which then often ends up creating stress, um, which then leads to that, you know, that illness or that disease or pain. That's okay. the short answer. <laughs> um. There's, I've written down lots of questions to ask you. In, in terms of with people who have uh, chronic pain or long-standing pain, um, in the physio world, they'll often say, oh, it's all in their head. And um, I know another osteopath who will get people to do mindfulness, and then his patients will come to see me because they'll say he didn't even do anything. What he right. did was um, um, get me to do mindfulness, and he didn't actually treat me. So... Sure. From a patient's perspective, um, how do you how do you say to somebody that there might be an emotional factor here, or there might be mm. a stress factor here that is contributing to the condition, mm. as without sounding like saying it's all mm. in your head and it's your fault? Yeah, yeah. So I, I totally agree with you know it's so not helpful when you're in excruciating pain and someone's telling you it's all in your head. So the first thing to understand is it's not all in your head in the sense that the pain is very real, you can feel it. So what is really helpful is to understand the science behind what is going on. So in terms of your brain, so there's certain, you know, we have neurons, you might have heard the phrase, what fires together, wires together. So at some point you might have had that as a physical pain. You know, maybe you had an injury when you were younger, you fell over, or in my case, you know, it, it was whatever happened while I was carrying my daughter, that pain was real as a structural problem at that time. But what happens is the brain creates these pathways of pain. So when there's a threat to your system, that same pathway will fire. So it will create pain in your body again, 
And you might think that, oh, I've got the same injury, I haven't healed properly, but actually it's not a physical thing, but it is creating pain in your body. So it's understanding that part of it, that, you know, you're not going crazy, you're not making this up, but it's just understanding what is your brain doing? It's sending off those signals. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is to, you know, just to look at what has helped you so far. If you're having a really good day and it's your birthday and you're being treated or, you know, you meet your friends, do you notice that sometimes actually the pain is a little bit less when you're, you know, having a great time? That's another way that you can tell. And you have to be really honest with yourself. So for me, it was getting to the point of there's nothing else that is working, that is helping. It's giving me temporary relief. So I knew that I had to pursue this this way to try to understand that, that maybe there was some truth in it. So you've got to have that open mind. Nobody's saying that you've made it up, but it gives people hope to know that actually there is something else going on. So do you notice the opposite of what we just said? So when you are feeling stressed, for example, with children, you might notice before they're going to go into an exam or start their first day at school, they'll get stomachache, right? That's mm. the mind-body connection. When you're feeling excited, you'll get butterflies in your stomach. So it's knowing, it's normalizing. Yes, there is a connection between what's going on in your mind and your emotions as well and what's going on in your body. And so this is just an extension of that. So it's not saying that you're making it up in any way. It's, it's the physical response to an emotional and a mental issue. So that's where I would start is help the other person to start to make that connection themselves. Okay, when I'm working with people specifically on the mind-body connection, I have a big, long questionnaire, um, which will ask people, okay, what were the big events in your life? And what were your physical symptoms that manifested um, that you're aware of during those events? And people come out of it. And just by doing that, they're amazed that actually, yeah, you know, I was going through a difficult relationship at that time or I had exam stress at that time and that's when certain symptoms were more apparent or more painful. Um, and then at other times where, you know, for me it was like when I got engaged, I had a, a big spike in stress because I was, you know, anxious about it. But then when you go through that honeymoon phase, it's like that was the first time in my life I'd had no physical symptoms. I felt amazing. It's that love factor. But what is that love factor? It means I was in such a good place emotionally and mentally. My my body didn't have any pain, right? So those are just the kind of some of the things to delve into, to just so people understand that we, we recognize that the pain is there. Um, but maybe you can start to do that cord and, and start to look at yourself and see what that connection is. A couple of questions, Benny. First one is... Um... It, it, to introduce people into those concepts of mind-body and from my perspective or if, you, if somebody who's listening to this is going through pain or if they know somebody who has chronic pain um, be it migraines, lower back pain, knee pain, whatever it may be um, is there a resource, any books, any people that you'd recommend following? or Sure, sure. So To introduce um, them to that concept because I think pain yeah. science is, a, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this for 11 years and so, sometimes I still get lost reading on, on pain science and yeah. I feel like it needs to be communicated in a way that is is um, for some, a lay person, somebody who isn't familiar with science and physiology, is there, is there a good resource? Yeah, so, so there's a few really and it depends what stage and what level you are at. Um, so I just kind of quickly want to go back to your point about the mindfulness as well. Um, you know, that does help, but it takes time. So that self-awareness is going to be a, a big way in to, to your healing as well. So I, I don't want to sound as if we're dismissing that because that's been a big part of my healing as well. But in terms of resources is um, just starting off really simple but fascinating read is Louise Hay, How to Heal Your Life. Um, and she's got an, this amazing chart at the back of her book as well, where it ma actually maps out different diseases and what are the emotional components of that. So just by wow. looking at that, you can start to see, does this resonate with me? Does this sound true to me? So that, that's one thing is kind of understanding that 
if you, especially if you have back pain, but it does translate to all other chronic pains as well, is the work of Dr. Sarno. Um, so I don't know if we've got time, but I can tell you really quickly, he, he, you know, he was a back doctor, um, you know, and he would, he'd seen patients for however many years, decades, and he was finding that doesn't matter what surgery he would do, doesn't matter what the x-rays would say, people, certain people would just not get better. And as he started to delve into that and speak to them, he started to see the pattern, the personality pattern of people pleasers, you know, of certain relationship problems or certain traumas that people had in their lives. So he started to approach it from that perspective and treat people in that way and educate them in what we've just been talking about, this mind-body connection, which he calls TMS. Um, and through that work, he was able to really heal people. And what he would say is, you can have two identical x-rays and you can see anomalies in people's backs. With one person, they might have the same anomaly and they've got loads of pain. And they might have surgery but it, to correct it, but they've still got the pain. And then you've got another person, exact same x-ray, exact same problem, but they've got no pain at all. So that's what he was looking at. What is the difference? And that's what he found the difference to be. So, um, you know, I highly recommend the work of Dr. Sarno. So um, Healing Back Pain is one of his quite simple books. Um, yeah. And you can it's look into that. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and then thirdly, one more resource I would say is Definitely, definitely look into the work of um, Dr. Joe Dispenza. So he, he's just amazing. Um, a lot of what he talks about really resonates with me, resonates with me as a sick as well as someone who's working in this kind of area. And so he's looking at it from that higher perspective as well, from the level of spirituality, but also that mind-body connection and how does the mind and our emotions play a part in what's going on physically in our body. So his work takes a little bit of getting into, getting used to. He does talk a bit from a science perspective because that's what he is. He's a scientist. Um, but once you start to get what he's talking about, he very much focuses on meditations. And even if you don't get what he's talking about and you start doing the meditations, you, you will definitely start to see a difference. I have it. Amazing. Amazing. And I'll add all of those uh, resources in the description box so people can access those. You talk about the love factor, feeling great during the honeymoon period. Is there anything people can do to recreate that love factor without being married? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, what is the love factor? It's a chemical process if you think about it. So I think the biggest thing, and this might sound a bit woo-woo and a bit corny, the biggest thing that I've learned throughout my journey is you've got to fall in love with yourself. And when I'm talking, I know that sounds egoic and especially, you know, when we're talking about Sikki, it's like home, right? You're falling in love with yourself, but it's falling in love with your true self. It's knowing that, you know, Vaiguru, the divine is resides within you and peeling away the layers of who you think you are, peeling away the layers of I'm not good enough and, you know, I'm not worthy or I did this and I'm bad or that person did that to me and really getting to the core of yourself, of the gifts that you have, of gratitude. Um, you know, gratitude is huge, but making it really personal and really feeling into, at, you know, as who you are as a person and falling in love with yourself, falling in love with everything around you, with the divine. So for me, it's been about falling in love with Vaiguru and that has been my path. But as part of that path, I've had to learn to fall in love with myself as you know, someone who's embodying the Jyotha Vaiguru. So it's not a simple thing and, you know, it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of um, searching within yourself. It takes, you know, you have to change who you are to some extent and that is hard work. It's easy to blame other people for where you are. You have to take responsibility for yourself. But once you start coming on this path, it, it, you know, especially with the Sangha that we have as well, amazing people, who are uplifting you, it's, you know, it's about falling in love with yourself, with life, with, with, with Guru, and you can maintain that state when it goes beyond the physical dimension of how much money you have, or, you know, did I have a good coaching session? Am I good at my job? Or, you know, does the other person love me? When you're able to feel that for yourself, it's almost like nothing can touch you. And, and yes, we waver, I'm not in that state. 
most of the time probably um but when you get a taste of it, it it's amazing amazing and with the coaching that you do how what kinds of things do you commonly see or i don't know if that's the right terminology but what do you help with so when i originally came into the coaching it was very much i've been through this experience hardly anybody knows about the mind body connection so i want to be that person that I needed when, when I was struggling with my physical health and to learn mm. that connection. So that's the intention that I started with. But what's kind of happened since is I'm finding um, people more and more, they want to connect on a spiritual level as well. So that's part of what I do. It doesn't have to be Sikhi related, but, you know, especially Sikhi related. So I only, on a one-to-one -one basis, I only tend to work with women as well. But, it, you know, we get those same patterns that, you know, the things that I went through where we're feeling disconnected uh, with other people, we're feeling disconnected with life, we want to know what our purpose is, we're struggling on an emotional level, on a mental level, or on a physical level, we, you know, so it's all those kind of issues and, and those become manifest as relationship problems, um, you know, mental health issues, physical health issues, um, or, you know, Recently, you know, I've had a couple of people who they're just cannot connecting spiritually and they're feeling quite angry towards God, right? Because they've had so many things go on in their life that they just can't understand using using the information that we've got out there in terms of Gata and, you know, the usual way that people talk about Sikhi and it's just Hukam and you've got to accept it and it's Karam. And so, you know, that, that has been forming a lot of my work as well is... How do we help people to connect on a personal level with Guru? And how do we get people to understand themselves? I mentioned earlier about how do we become um, aligned with, you know, what is, what is it that you're thinking, that you're feeling and you're doing on the inside? Who are you? And comparing that to all the expectations that people have of you. And what I find is when people start doing that and they start doing the things that they really want to do and, speaking about the things that they want to really speak about. They have this new kind of zest for life. And most of their, I would say all of their problems, but, you know, a lot of the things that they thought were problems with that kind of mindset change tend to dissolve away. Nice. Um, so I'm approaching midlife. And uh, so if you have somebody like me who's um, having a midlife crisis and they're trying to, find purpose, trying to you know, find some, I guess you, you're, you're 18 or around that age and you get into a profession, you just want to earn money, you're working and then you want to get married and, and, so, and you want to buy a house and then you want to have kids and then you want to get a dog and then you kind of do all of those things. And so do you, do you, how do you help people find a purpose or, or is it the same purpose everyone has? And is that, or is the people you're working with, are they, do they tend to be spiritual people so they have a similar purpose in terms of um, discovering themselves and doing that cause? Or can you talk around that? Sure, sure. So, you know, it's, it, in my understanding is the, the issue, if we peel back all the layers, everybody has the same problem and everybody has the same solution but we all have our own individual journey about how we're going to get there. So no one person is the same. Whether you, you know, people come from a spiritual perspective, but then there's other people who come who, you know, they're, they're not really interested in or they've had bad experiences with kind of religion and that kind of thing. So they don't want to even go into that. So I don't think that is an issue, but underneath all of it is, is again, what we've been talking about is there's this inner conflict which normally leads to some sort of suffering, um, which then people want help with because they're not, they're, what, how I describe it is they're feeling a hole. There's something missing. They go through all of that, what you mentioned, you know, the education, the house, um, and thanks to you, the kids want a dog now as well. Uh, so I'm in Sorry. resistance about that. Um, and But then they're still not feeling fulfilled. All these promises that, society or you know culture has made to them you know they're not feeling it you know maybe they've got the most 
most amount of money they've ever had and they've been on these amazing holidays, they've got amazing relationship, but they're still not feeling something inside is missing for them. And so that ultimately always comes down to the same thing, whether people are aware of it or not. So the process for me is, is to start where you're at. Is okay, where are you at now? What are you what are you struggling with the most? And what's beneath that? So for me it's always about cord. It's okay, what's beneath that? So okay, maybe you're scared, you've got anxiety. What is it that you're scared about? And but what's beneath that? Where did that come from? And it's drilling down to a certain extent. And normally it's rooted in some sort of limited understanding that we've got through culture. So that's just a small part of it for, for me. But then the main part of it is, okay, who do you want to be? How do you become that person? If we take away the restrictions that society has put on you and you start to think about when you were younger, what did you enjoy? I used to love singing. I went to Roman Catholic school and I would love belting out hymns. I don't know if those two words go together, but I, I would love singing, you know, uh, hymns about all things bright and beautiful. But my grandma, my baby... Would be like, no, Can you give us a rendition? Uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> but my grandma would be like, girls don't sing. And so she would really hammer in on that, you know, girls don't sing, it's not good to sing. So, I, I, you know, over time I began to repress that. And when I started coming into Sikhi and I started learning about Kirtan, I was like, oh my gosh, my guru, I, I was doing Kirtan all along. So me, you know, I'm just going into the middle age, not approaching it. But, you know, for me, it's been so empowering to, to sit down and le start learning Dilruba and to use my voice and to sing. So it's very much connecting to what is it, what is your truth in the sense that what is it that you really want in, from your life? And peeling away the layers of what everyone's told you and, and having slowly building that courage to, to start doing that and start living that and start feeling that. We have, um, especially in our culture, not just religion, but culture, there's so much guilt tripping. Um, and we use religion to justify it. So we talk about things like seva, and it's almost as if, if you don't help every single person that comes in your direction, you're not a good Sikh because you're not doing their seva. So, you know, part of my job is, okay, I'm just gonna guide you. What is the true meaning of seva? Because when we're looking at Guru Granth Sahib Ji or any kind of dharmic text, the true meaning of seva starts with you. So how do you serve God? How do you serve, you know, God in here? Um, how do you connect to that first? And then when you're in that place, when your cup is full, when you're overflowing, then you want to serve because then you're recognizing you, you have compassions um, overflowing in you. And then you recognize that everything is part of the same thing and you want to serve. But we have it the wrong way around. We, we give our heads, but we give our heads to people as opposed to giving our heads to to the divine and that's really yeah. deep i i, I could um, go on i'm very passionate <laughs> so I'll, i'm trying to um hold back a little bit <laughs> thank you i um i had a friend and they they struggled to get pregnant and uh and she disclosed that she hates god or she's very angry with god at that point time and you mentioned people being angry with God and yeah. the, the kind of the organized religion not not kind of working for them at that point in time because it wasn't practical with what they were going through or they didn't feel it was. Um, how do you how do you work through that when somebody's feeling angry towards towards God? Or... Yeah, yeah. So the first thing is is you've got to just be able to hold that space for that person and not be jumping in to change their mind because there are certain feelings that they're feeling which are okay to feel. You know, this might sound controversial, but it's okay to feel angry with God because it's not that that's true. It's just that it's whatever is your understanding in that moment that, you know, God gives to everybody. So it's God's fault that I haven't got that thing. But when we... Yeah, and, and just to broaden it, Sure. I, I can think when somebody dies, they probably think, well, why did God do that to me? Why did they yeah. take my loved one away? Yeah. Or if someone gets cancer, they think, well, I'm a good person. I've done everything sure. right. Why me? Um, sure. So it's probably not just in the context of fertility, but in, in any kind of 
dope situation, yeah. I guess yeah. there is the potential for that. Yeah. Pain as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so certainly that it would have been something that I went through as well when I was in my deepest, darkest moments was, why me, right? Uh, why, why am, everyone else is walking around fine and they've had kids fine, you know, why am I suffering so much? So the first thing is you're not going to get anywhere unless you try to understand that person from their perspective, you know, call it empathy if you want, is to just understand what is that pain that that person is feeling, because that pain is real. It's, you know, maybe it's misdirected, but is to understand that pain and hold space for that pain and share that pain. But then for me, the next stage is then not guiding anybody to, to a certain way of thinking, but just trying to understand, okay, where has this understanding come from that it's God's fault? And it's normally, it's an understanding that's given generally that, you know, everything, like we said earlier, everything's in hukam and there's karam and, you know, I'm a good person, so this shouldn't happen to me. But actually, some of that understanding is not at the level that I believe, you know, Guru wants us to understand it. Um, and, you know, we often get confused with a lot of Western culture as well, where it's like, we almost feel like we're, we deserve certain mm. things. It's it's entitlement, right? So for me, it's understanding, first of all, at the level of self-responsibility, that yes, there's hukum, there's things that are out of our control, but we can also do things. So we can take responsibility for certain things in our lives. It, you know, if somebody walked in now and, you know, started making funny faces in the video, you would have a different perspective of what just happened and I would have a different one. I might get angry because it might be one of my kids and you might start laughing your head off because it's so funny, right? But the same thing happened. So we can choose our perspective on what's just happened. And once we start to, again, go into the bird's eye view of what's happened, we start to understand, okay, this has happened to me, but maybe it happened to me for me rather than against me. So through all the pain that I went through, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't have, you know, the amazing sangha that I have now or the amazing connection that I feel I have unless all of that stuff had happened to me. We say, you know, when you have that time of difficulty, that's when you look for something else. And normally that is, that's initiating, uh, sorry, instigating our spiritual development. So it's just kind of helping people slowly, gently to see, question what is it, what beliefs are they using to then go and blame God? And how else could they look at it? It's really interesting. When, when my brother passed away, two or three people said things to me which really stuck with me. And one of them was a, a girl called Sharon. And um, she said, uh, one day you're going to realize it's just for the best. And that was very contrary to everything else everyone was saying. And I felt a bit insulted when she said it. Mm. But six years in, looking back at it, I think, you know, there's a lot of good that um, came from having my brother in my life and the time I got to spend with him and all of those types of things. So, like you said, I guess it's, it's the perspective of how you look at things. And, and um, with that, with grief, I think you can celebrate somebody's life, but you can you know, or you can mourn, and both are probably part of the grieving process, but it, it does completely change change you and the way you process things and outlook and stuff. And, and actually, I think she was right. Um, so things have, have worked out and you know, got, got to have great memories with him. And, you know, so can't complain, um, as, as uh, bad as that might sound. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about staying, which is similar, it's along the same vein, but you mentioned um, how your thoughts impact your feelings. And I, I, had, uh, I, I had COVID in around Christmas time, and uh, I was lying in bed and I thought, I've, um, I've been training for a year consistently, I've finally made progress, and now I'm sick, and I feel like I'm going to die, I can't breathe. It wasn't actually that bad, I was only ill for about five days, but... This was my thought process with just five days. And it happens even when I get the flu. Um, and uh, why is Darshan Kaur not looking after me? And, uh, and um, 
all of the other things like, uh, you know, when I ever be able to walk again and, um, and run again and that kind of stuff. And so I can't fathom how you stay positive when you're in, when you're in chronic pain. I can't even do that for acute pain. So do you have any words of wisdom for people who struggle with the, the, the language they use or the self-talk? Um, or is that just down to experience and when you go through it, you kind of understand the impact it has? Yeah, so so one way, I'm, I'm going to kind of talk around it and then maybe get to what you can do. But one way that really helped me to understand what's happening in terms of chronic pain and the thoughts is, um, I learned this on a mindfulness for health course, which is, so if you imagine that I've got a cushion in my hand, that's the actual pain that you're feeling and that's very real. Um, and you have to deal with that, right? You can't deny that it's there. But then you put another cushion on top and that's, why me? Why is this happening to me? You put another cushion on top and that's, okay, what, what's going to happen in the future? And will I be able to run again in your case? And another cushion, why isn't Dashan looking after me? And so instead of just dealing with that, what you're now dealing with is much heavier. It's much bigger. So that's important to understand. And that's actually physically going to impact your pain as well. Because the, when you're adding stress to it, so if you imagine a time when you're stressed, what does your body do? It automatically tenses up, right? So how do you come out of that? Is So that's why I was saying, you know, mindfulness is, is a good way to come into that, is to allow yourself to start kind of start to go beyond the thoughts and, and to really connect to your body. Um, do things, so you, I think the, the main answer, which I'll go into is, when you're experiencing chronic pain, it's really difficult to have a life beyond chronic pain. And, and that's what I personally experienced. It was all about the pain. My whole life had to be around the pain. And what you have to do is you have to create a life beyond the pain. So you've got to create things that bring you joy, a bit like, uh, what's the name, um, Mary Kondo and the clothes. It's like, does it bring you joy? You have to start to create a life beyond that because as long as you're victim to that pain, and there's nothing else, you, you're going to be stuck in that spiral. So that might be anything that speaks to you. So in your case, you love doing exercise. Maybe you can't do it in that moment, but maybe you want to watch a podcast and, and learn some more things about it. So that's one thing, you know, whatever brings you joy, you know, maybe you want to arrange a night out, obviously not if you've got COVID, but, you know, you want to be around people who really, you know, help to lift your mood. So, you know, in terms of sikhi, it's going to sangat, um, you know, listen listen to kirtan. Um, for me, it was, you know, really connecting to Gurbani, you know, doing Khoja Bhat or doing Simran or listening to kirtan. Um, but another big way for me was actually journaling. So, and there were two parts to that. One part was actually all of this that I'm feeling and I'm thinking, I want to get it out because as long as it's stuck inside me, I'm just going to keep going round and round in circles with it. So I would write down, and, and I still do it now, I'll write down everything, all the frustrations, not hold back anything, because I'm not, go I'm not going to keep it, I'm going to rip it up. So if I need to swear, I will swear. You know, if I need to be harsh, I'll be harsh. But then I'll get rid of that. And then I'll focus on, okay, what do I, what do I have now? What is the message in me? So for me, I ask Guru, I'm like, okay, Guru, what, what is the higher wisdom in this, whatever is happening to me right now, what have I gained from this? Um, you know, what can I be grateful for? So it's really important to do it that way. Is you, you've got to honor what you're feeling in that moment, and you've got to connect to those feelings. But then once that's done, is you, you connect to the higher wisdom of that. And that really helped me to get beyond that and, and create, again, create a life beyond the pain as well. That's amazing. Um... I want to commend you because you know, I, my, my, uh, I have family members, Nathan, but they, they have a very um, uh, traditional view or Indian traditional view of, of medicine or illness. So it's like if, somebody, if you're ill, you go to the doctor, he gives you antibiotics, regardless of what you've got, he gives you antibiotics. And um, that's, you just, once you get those antibiotics or in India, you know, once they put the tikka in you, then you're going to be fine. Um, and I think it's a lot harder to learn about your body, learn about what works for you, um, the impact different things have on you and, and trying to manage that day to day. Um, so I want to commend you for that. Uh, and I personally, as a healthcare professional, I think people can do a lot more for themselves than 
a healthcare professional can do for them. Obviously, there are acute injuries, like if you have a car accident, you don't want to try and sort that out yourself if you're having a baby. Um, but for a lot of for a lot of chronic conditions, I think there is definitely a lifestyle component or a, a or a kind of self awareness component to those and a mind body component to those. Um, and even with a lot of weight loss, I, I was talking to um, uh, that Sikh mama on the last podcast, and uh, before we started recording, we were talking about weight loss and how it's weight loss and your exercise essentially is all in your head, right? Like you have to decide what you eat. And that's a thought, and that's that's down to the mind. You have to decide whether you exercise or not, whether you can bother, how hard you you push yourself during the exercise. So it all comes back to the mind. And if you can, if you can work on that, then uh, it, it, that's the kind of probably the first thing you have to do to lose weight as opposed to. Um... So can I jump in there? So yes, please. What, what's really, really useful to know, because what we often do is when we say things like, you know, it's all in our mind, we've tried everything, we've tried our hardest, and then it's so frustrating to hear, oh, yeah, but it's all in your mind, and you're like, what, do I have a weak mind? What's really important to understand is what we're talking about here is the subconscious mind. So what is the subconscious mind? These are programs. They're things that we're not even aware of. That's why it's called the subconscious mind. We don't even know the programs, the habits that we've picked up from childhood, you know, from our lives. And we're not in complete control of them until you become aware of it. And then, you know, especially the work of Joe Dispenza really looks at this, is how do you reprogram that? Because you can't just decide and, you know, we, you know, even with affirmations, you can't just decide that every day I'm going to say I'm going to lose weight and then you do it. Or every say every day we know, right, we say I'm not going to have chocolate today, but then we do it. And we often beat ourselves up about that. And that makes that cycle even worse because then that leads to bad feelings, which lead to bad thoughts that then lead to, you know, those actions yes. that we, when I say no, bad, I mean it's not right. So what we need to understand is we need to reprogram on a deeper level. It's not that your mind is not strong enough. It's just that we don't understand the science of this. So actually things like meditation, um, you know, hypnosis, um, you know, affirmations, but knowing when to use the affirmations when your brain waves are in a certain state before you go to sleep and when you're waking up in the morning. During meditation, you're changing your brain waves. So you've, you've got to approach this as a scientific kind of thing, which is also a spiritual thing, ironically, at the same time. And that is what will actually be the key to unlocking and changing those habits, whether it's overeating, whether it's being able to deal with the pain or, you know, even anger. You know, some people, and I know I've experienced that and still do sometimes, ask my husband and kids, is, you know, just getting triggered and getting angry and it's really important to understand that one, you're not helpless, you can do something about it, but even if you're trying your hardest not to not to do that and it's still happening, it just means you need a different approach and you, you need to understand it from that kind of point of view of the subconscious mind as well. Yeah. I was I was reading Oprah's latest book and she's written it with a neuroscientist and it's called uh, What Happened to You? And they use uh, they give the example of a case study where a child had suffered abuse from the hands of his father and mm. in a sleep state they measured his pulse and if you bought the same scent so the same clothes that his father was wearing towards him in a sleep state his body would go into fight or flight and his heart rate would uh, spike um so it just it just when you're talking about subconscious it really um reminded me of that example and with me and uh with me and buggers um i was i wrote a post about uh, spending time with kids and, and fatherhood. And uh, my, one of my few memories of me and my dad is with him watching TV with me, with me in his laps. And I think that's probably why I um, I do, the way I like to spend time with the kids is like, we'll watch something together. Or I think that might have something to do with it. It might not, but I think there is a lot of these, these subconscious components to behavior. And, and you're right, if you just, try and will yourself out of it, it's probably not going to happen. You probably need to do something deeper than just doing affirmations or just uh, willing yourself to not eat chocolate or not eat junk food. And especially with food, I think there's a strong kind of emotional component and, um, yeah. and, and kind of uh, probably going down to the layers of the brain, as we talk about in the book, there's the limbic 
limbic brain, which is more the animal type brain. Um, and so certain kind of behaviors might be hardwired uh, and we're more prone to do those in certain states. So interesting read as well. I add that to the description. Um, mm -hmm. The last question I wanted to ask you was about the Vajarabu, because mm -hmm. I know that's had a big impact on Dershko's life. And I was thinking about if you could tell us some more about it, because I think it'd be great for there to be those types of groups in, in kind of every major city or every area, really. It's been a, I know it's been a pivotal part in the Darshkur's journey, so can you talk to us about the groups that you run? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, again, anything that I've been blessed to be part of has normally come from the angle of creating what I need. <laughs> so it's always coming from that kind of selfish um, perspective as well. So. For me, you know, coming into Sikhi, I, I just felt like, yes, but, you know, there's lots of people. I would go into the Gurdwara, but you won't necessarily strike up a conversation with a random person at the Gurdwara. Um, so I, I and, and people were always, I would be watching, you know, basics of Sikhi and all of that kind of stuff. And they'd be talking about the importance of Sangat. And yes, you know, you can get Sangat by watching YouTube videos and all of that. But I just felt like I needed that space. Um, so if you need something, it's, it's the case of creating it. So um, what happened was we we were doing, so first of all, I got the idea from um, somebody who I consider a mentor. Um, so I, I used to be part of a Sangat um, elusive fighting. So I learned so much from the Viji there and from the Sangat there about doing good Madhvichar. So don't just follow what everyone else is doing. Create your own relationship with Guru through Gurbani. So they used to run these Vijar groups. So I was a part of that, and it really inspired me. And then I also was part of a different Sangha, which was we did a, a course, a Japji Sab course uh, with Nanak Nam with Sabad Singh. And that was really helpful, especially in terms of us talking openly about our spiritual journey, you know, what we were experiencing. It was giving us a, a chance to do Simran together as well. And basically, at the, when the course came to an end, um, we, we really wanted, some of us really wanted to keep that up. So that's kind of where it came out of, um, is, you know, we just kept that going. So we normally do some Simran. And even if you just attend for the, for the meditation, and it's kind of guided Simran, and it's not just one person doing it. So whoever wants to do it, um, to give it a try, to lead it, gets a chance to do that because there's no one expert. So even that alone, we don't understand on what level changes are happening in our body, in our mind, in our soul, when we get together and we do that, when we connect to, to, to Vaiguru. So even that alone is a huge thing. Um, but then we go into the Hukam Nama. So the idea of it is not to just read the English translation, but to actually delve into it and look at it from a practical aspect of what does this mean to me? What is Guru trying to tell me as an individual? How do I apply this to my family situation, my work situation? And then out of that, things will come up. So whatever challenges or even, you know, victories that we're experiencing, we get a chance to share that in a really personal and supportive environment. So, you know, at the moment, they're, they're women only. We did try to set up a men's one. But, you know, men work differently, so apparently they don't want to sit and just kind of talk, which is fine. Um, so, so that, and it's been transformative for all of us because we get to just talk openly. It's, I think it's Brené Brown who talks about vulnerability, right? And it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable, but that's where the magic happens. Even with, you know, with coaching, with counselling, it's when you're actually allow yourself to open your heart and be really honest about what you're thinking and what you're feeling and what you're doing, that change can actually happen. So that's kind of the main space and it's changed a lot of our lives for most people who've come, especially mine as well, where they can just openly say, I think one session was amazing. Somebody just said, do you know what? I'm feeling really um, I'm feeling really jealous right now. And that might sound like such a small thing or a silly thing even to some people to come to the group and say, I'm feeling really jealous. But it was an amazing session because we all got to talk about how we felt jealous at different times. But what, what did that teach us about ourselves? Because if we're feeling jealous, it just means there's something that is lacking in our lives. 
It doesn't mean that we want something bad for the other person. It just means if you're feeling jealous that there's a group of friends and you don't have a group of friends, maybe that's what's missing in your life. You need some Sangat, then what can you do about that? And, you know, what does Guru say about that? Guru saying Sangat is really important because it helps you to become uplifted. So those are the kind of things we cover. So at the moment, we've got one on um, via Seek Your Mind, which is over Zoom. Um, which is on a Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. And you can DMS, DM us on Instagram to get the link for that. And it alternates between English and Punjabi. So if the elder generation want to get involved, especially with the Punjabi one, um, that's what that's really there for. Any age can attend. Um, and then we used to have them in person, but obviously because of COVID, um, we had to stop. But um, the hope is that we, we restart that again quite soon. Um, so that will be in Slough, which is where we're based. Um, and is but, that women women's only, the online one, that Seek Your Mind? Yeah, so that's women's only, yeah. Um, okay. So what we just find is it just it gives people that extra sense of um, safety when they're yeah. talking about that their personal stuff. So I would love, um, yeah, two things I would love for, you know, men to create their one. So we're hoping through Seek Your Mind we can set up a men's one as well. Um, but what... You know, what would be the ideal goal is everybody just sets this up within their own local area. You don't need any but one person to lead it or facilitate it. Is The only thing, the quality that you need is you've just got to be courageous enough to be vulnerable. And maybe you, you start talking about your own issues and, you know, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing and, you know, what and then going into what is Guru telling you and trying to apply that. OK, how do I do that practically? You know, if I'm feeling angry, how do I practically apply what Guru is telling me in that moment? Do I decorj bande koj dilharaj? Do I decorj of my heart and think what what triggered me, or do I take a deep breath and try to do something else? So those kind of practical things is what we're talking about. But yeah, it would be great if people could just set up their own with with a bunch of people with a bunch of friends. And if somebody wants to do that, is it better to contact yourself or seek your mind, or if just to get some guidance on, on sure. the structure and yeah, so kind of... so e either would be fine. You can contact me by call coaching or via seek your mind. Yeah. Okay. I'd and I always ask this question to everybody, and that is, the tagline of the podcast is inspiring the next generation. So, if you have to give one piece of advice to the next generation, what would that advice? Um, so I'm, I'm going to steal I can't remember who said it but um, know thyself so for me that, that's what the message of Gurbani is as well is, is do that cause of who you are, who you really are um, and that will solve all your problems, make that connection with, with Guru that, that resides within you and all around you um, and it, it will make you limitless there's nothing Amazing. you can't overcome if you do that. Amazing. And where can people contact you? Where can they find out more about you? Yep. So um, www.callcoaching.co.uk. I'm on Instagram. I'm not very active, um, but I, I do reply to messages on there. Um, and also, please, please, if you can follow the work of Sick Your Mind. So it's a mental health charity and well-being charity for primarily the Sikh and Punjabi audience, but anybody can follow us. There's always inspiring things on there um, and support us if you can. Thank you so much for your time, Benji. I really appreciate it. 